Welcome to Cornerstone Community Church. Happy Mother's Day to all you mothers. This is what I want to do real quick. All the mothers just stay seated. Everyone else, in honor of our mothers, everyone else rise to your feet and clap your hands for our mothers this morning. Go ahead, give them a round of applause. Clap your hands for our mothers. Thank you, moms, for being there. And yeah, 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 that's good, that's good. Thank you, moms. All right, and here's the deal. There's a big table with a bunch of flowers out there, okay? If you haven't taken one and give, given one to your mom yet, do that. And also, here's a good idea for you, okay? I think this will win you some brownie points, but um, learn, learn, okay? Do some research on your smartphone, whatever, just not during the service, okay? But go and learn how to dry a flower, okay? Dry a flower and dry this flower out for your mom, okay? And just hang it somewhere, put it in a frame or something, just to always be a constant reminder of how much you love your mom. Like when you do something dumb, just give her the flower, okay? When you, when you, when you, uh, when you realize 10 years later, like I have many times, that my mom was right about a lot of things, you can say, Mom, look at the flower. I love you, okay? Show your moms how much you honor them this, uh, this day and forever. All right, a couple things I want to mention for you. Next week, we're going to have our missions offering like Jeff announced last week. Um, another thing, I have Amy Miller written here. It's not Amy Miller anymore, folks. It's Amy Harrison. I just got to get used to that. Amy Harrison is going to be here next week. She's going to give a report as to how her and, and Micah are doing at Camp Elam. And uh, she's gonna, that's going to be awesome because, trust me, they're doing some pretty cool things there. It's, it's a, it'll be a good thing to hear. So, and she's here right here. Amy Harrison, everybody. Don't get that wrong. All right. And now, okay, are the kids ready out there? They're right here. Okay, and now I want everybody to rise up to their feet and clap your hands for all of our kids because we got a special kids program going on right now. So rise up to your feet and clap your hands for our kids. Good morning, everyone. We're, we're going to bring them out class by class, actually. We're going to start with Linda's uh, first grade through fifth grade class, and they have a little something special for you. And then Miss Debbie's class will come out, and then the toddler class will maybe have something special for you. We'll see how they do. Um, and then we're all going to have another little special treat for our mom. So um, here's Miss Linda's class. I'm really glad that we were able to come and talk to you a little bit about what we're doing. Um, we've been studying Genesis this year, and we have worked really hard on some lap books. We started, gosh, June of last year. So we've been working on it for quite a while, and I'm really excited because these kids really have an understanding of what happens at the beginning of the Bible. And one little thing that we've just kind of enjoyed doing together is sort of a walk through the Bible. Um, but we haven't completed it. We just kind of went up to, um, well, you'll know the last one when you hear it. But we, we haven't completed it, so I'm hoping that as we go on next year that we'll, we'll be able to complete the walk through the Bible. And so we're just going to say some of these for you, and we hope you enjoy it. Creation. The fall in the garden. 
flood. God's covenant with Noah. Tower of Babel. The call of Abram. Abram and Lot separate. With Abraham, Hagar and Ishmael, Sodom and Gomorrah, Isaac and Rebekah, Jacob and Esau. Jacob gets Isaac's blessing, Jacob's children. Joseph in Egypt. Rose's birth. Plagues in Egypt. The Exodus. Ten Commandments. Aaron and the Golden Calf. Moses gets new tablets. The tabernacle and the Ark of the Covenant. The Levitical priesthood begins. The wilderness wanderings. Balaam and his donkey. Okay, now we're going to take a few minutes and everyone's going to say why they love their mommies. Who would like to start? Cora? I love my mom because she helps when we are sick. I love my mom because she plays with me and she is nice. I love my mommy because she helps me with work. I love my mom because she gets me all these toys. Okay, who else? Avery? I love my mommy because she takes care of me. I love my mom um, because um, she, um, love you, mommy, because you're my best mom. I love my mommy because she tickles me and, um, uh-oh, I don't remember. I love my mommy because she's sweet. 
I love my mom because she loves me. I love my mommy because she, um, um, I love my mommy so I love my mommy because she's always there for me. I love my mommy because she gives me pizza. <laughs> I love my mommy because um, she helps me get dressed. This morning, our theme is, Justin, can we have the lights back down? Our theme, our theme today, we're going to look at uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And I just want to sing now about the faithfulness of our God. As the offering is going to come around. Um, just want to sing about the faithfulness of our God, that we can always count, even when we're uncertain about everything in life. We're uncertain, and li- we can live through uncertainty, having faith in the faithfulness of God and who He is. So as the offering comes around, let's sing this together. Good morning. It's exciting to have the kids up there, isn't it? My, my daughter uh, was especially loud this morning, and I, I thought about that, and it, you know, one solution, the only reason was, you know, when you stand next to Colin, it's a little difficult to, uh, to be heard. So don't hold that against her. Uh, happy Mother's Day to all you uh, mothers out there. I, I uh, remembered something that was on my sister-in-law's uh, refrigerator. She had posted this, and it's kind of a description of her job uh, as, a, as a, a wife and a mother. And, and it goes like this. It says, here is my job description. I am a wife, mother, friend, confidant, personal advisor, lover, referee, peacemaker, housekeeper, laundress, chauffeur, interior decorator, gardener, painter, wallpaperer, dog groomer, veterinarian, manicurist, barber, seamstress, appointment manager, financial planner, bookkeeper, money manager, personal secretary, teacher, disciplinarian, entertainer, nurse, public relations expert, dietitian, nutritionist, baker, chef, fashion coordinator, and a letter writer for both sides of the family. I am also a travel agent, speech therapist, plumber, and automobile maintenance and repair expert. From the studies I've done, it would cost more than $75,000 a year to replace me. So be thankful for your mother and be thankful for your wives as well here this morning. So happy Mother's Day. Amen, indeed. We were uh, going through the book of Daniel, and uh, nothing says Mother's Day more than Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. <laughs> Three guys being tossed into a fire. You know, it's like a good action flick. But, but we're going to go through Daniel uh, anyway. Our, our theme for the book of Daniel has been a better kingdom. So that's what we're going to be talking about. And I wanted, you know, something clever. I thought if I had any rhythm or anything, I could start out, you know, like Mike and do the Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. But, you know, I have no rhythm. So which was probably seen in my kids there as well. But we're going through Daniel chapter 3. That's where we're going to be at. So you can turn to Daniel chapter 3. Tim took us through chapter 2 last week, and you remember at the end, Daniel has interpreted this dream. Nebuchadnezzar is blown away by it, but what is Nebuchadnezzar's response? What does he do? He burns incense to Daniel. He basically praises Daniel. He kind of misses the point. He misses 
who has actually done this great thing. What's great about looking through the book of Daniel, chapters 1, 2, 3, and 4, you see a progression in Nebuchadnezzar's life. And we're going to continue to see that here today as we go through chapter 3. It's 30 verses long, uh, so we'll, we'll kind of break it down in, into three sections. We'll read those verses, and then we'll talk about it. Let me pray before we begin. God, we thank you. God, we thank you for our kids. How cool is that to see them up here? God, we thank you for our mothers that have raised these kids. And God, we pray that you would bless our mothers. Uh, God, that you would uh, use them mightily in their kids' lives, uh, mothers of all ages, no matter uh, how old their kids are. God, continue uh, to use them in their kids' lives. We thank you for these kids. God, our future, the next generation, we praise that you would we pray that you would raise up a generation that would seek your face, raise up a generation that would pursue your kingdom, a better kingdom. This morning, God, we thank you for the book of Daniel. We thank you for what we can learn out of it. We thank you for your word. We ask that you would talk to us this morning. We ask in the name of Jesus, amen. Daniel 3, it says, King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold 90 feet high and 9 feet wide. He set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Of Babylon. He then summoned the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, judges, magistrates, and all other officials to come to the dedication of the image he had set up. So the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all other officials assembled for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up, and they stood before it. Then the herald loudly proclaimed, This is what you are commanded to do, O peoples, nations, and men of every language. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipes, and all kinds of music, you must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. Therefore, as soon as they heard the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, and all kinds of music, all the peoples, nations, and men of every language fell down and worshipped the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. At this time, some astrologers came forward and denounced the Jews. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You have issued a decree, O king, that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipes, and all kinds of music must fall down and worship the image of gold, and that whoever does not fall down and worship will be thrown into a blazing furnace. But there are some Jews who have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who pay no attention to you, O king. They neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold you have set forth. Here's how it's going to start. We, we've, you know, Alan kind of gave us the background two weeks ago, and Tim continued. You know, these, these guys have been basically marched down from where we would be here all the way down to Atlanta. That's kind of the trek that was made. They've taken the best of the best out of Jerusalem and taken them down here. Okay, so Nebuchadnezzar now, he's got an empire. Uh, he's got a kingdom here that consists not only of his own people, but other people groups. You see all these nations, all these languages, all these different people groups. So with that, you have different languages, you have different people groups, and all these people groups and languages have different gods. So this is the kingdom that he has, all made up of all of these different people. So King Nebuchadnezzar, he goes and he constructs this, this statue, and it's 90 feet high. And if, if that's tough to grasp, I always think of basketball, all right, a hoop is 10 feet tall, nine times on top of it. That's pretty tall, 90 feet high. That's, that's a massive structure that he's constructed. 
made of all gold. Now, we can kind of know by studying that this is probably not him, all right? He didn't make a structure that was him and a resemblance of him. Uh, the kings of Babylon did not consider themselves to be deity, did not consider themselves to be gods, so he would not have constructed the, this, this statue of himself. What it most likely was, was a way for all these different people groups, for all these different groups to come together and worship together. Okay, so that's what he's set up. That's what he's constructed. What he didn't want is he didn't want a certain group coming up and, and kind of saying, hey, we've got the one way. We've got the only way. Because he had a kingdom in which he needed to keep peace. And he would use military force to do that. But he wanted to keep peace. And that's difficult to do when you have a lot of different groups in there. That's difficult to do when you have different languages, tribes, gods, different people worshiping different things. And so what he has constructed is this image, this golden image. He says, all right, here's what everyone in my kingdom is going to do. Everyone is going to come, and they are going to worship. He's not telling you, okay, you, don't have, you can worship your other God. I'm not telling you you don't have to, and you can't worship your other God. That's okay. But everyone must worship together. It was kind of the, the, this, this, this idea of, um, of religions, kind of religious tolerance. That's kind of what the, the image represented, was a religious tolerance. And, and the outside, you know, religious tolerance seems okay. On the outside, hey, you know, that's great that he can give us something that everybody can come together. You know, and what he didn't want was a religious intolerance. He didn't want a group stepping up and saying, no, that's not how it's done. No, our way is the only way. And that's what, that's what he feared. He didn't want an uprising in the kingdom. He didn't want political unrest. And so he set up this, this statue kind of as a, all right, let's all come together. Let's all worship. You can have all your gods, but it's all going to be encompassed in this. And you kind of see it, and it says they serve, when he's talking about uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they said they neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold you have set up. So Babylon had their gods. These other countries, these other languages, these other tribes had their gods. But what he wants is kind of a group to come together and worship together. So kind of a, this idea of religious tolerance. Uh, what, what happens, though? What happens? There is a group, because of their belief, because they hold to the Bible, because they believe in the God of the Bible, and they can worship no other gods, right? They're told that. You can worship no other gods. You can have no other gods before me. And so here they are with an issue. They're commanded from the kingdom, from the kingdom they're living, the world they're living in, that you have to do this. You have to live this way. If you're going to be a part of my kingdom, you have to do this. Yet what they believe and what they hold true and what they believe in their heart to be true about the kingdom that they belong to, about the kingdom that they are pursuing, is they can't do it. So that's the issue. And so Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego have to make a decision. What am I going to do? Do I live according to this kingdom, or do I live my life to a greater kingdom? Do I have a greater following? So that's, that's, the, that's the, uh, the problem set before them, because their belief was obviously, as the Bible teaches, that there is one God. As Jesus himself says, I am the only way. Only way. I am the way, the truth, and the life, and the only way to the Father. There is one mediator between God and man. So we know that the Bible teaches this, and, and we deal that with that today, don't we? I mean, in, in the world we live in, in the culture we live in, there's a sense of religious tolerance. It's okay 
whatever you believe is okay. Remember that, I was talking about that Oprah Winfrey clip like a month ago when she was talking, you know, it doesn't matter if you call him Jesus or the light or whatever you call him, as long as you believe in something. And there's this sense in our culture of religious tolerance. As long as you believe something, it's okay. The problem becomes when you try to push your belief, when you try to convert others to your belief. That's where the world sees religious intolerance. And yet as we look at the heart and the core of what we believe, we look at the core and the heart of the gospel, what is it? It's Jesus on the cross. Jesus on the cross. And the Bible tells us why we were enemies of God, he went to the cross. That sound intolerant? That the God of the universe would send his only son to die for people who opposed him, who were against him? And yet that's what we believe. That's our faith is found in the cross, that a God wants everyone to come. For, for all have sinned. God sent his only son so the world would know, right? So this is, this is what we're dealing with, and this is the, the problem set before Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And, and Nebuchadnezzar had to be worried about it. He, he didn't want a people group rising up. He didn't want issues in his, uh, in his kingdom. Tim and I were, were talking this morning, and, and he was telling me about a story, reminding me of a story I've heard from, it was in 1999, it was in India. And there was a couple, and his, I wrote his name down. His name was Graham Staines, and he was, uh, he, he was a, um, a missionary from Australia in India. And Graham Staines, in 1999, had his 10-year-old and his 7-year-old son in the car with him. And they were parked outside the church. Uh, there was, he, he was involved in a lot of different things, but they were in, in this community. don't have the community in front of me, but they were in this community, parked outside of the front of the church, and they were sleeping in their car that night. A group, a mob of about 100 people, and they were led by a guy by the name of Dara Singh, Dara Singh, who was a political activist, comes up and they set this car on fire. A missionary with his two sons in the car. And what this, uh, what this political activist and what the statement that was made about him is that he's a, led by Dara Singh, a political activist who opposed religious conversions for fear it would change the political structure in India. He didn't want people converted. He didn't want the political structure changed. And this missionary, Graham Staines, and his two sons, 10 and 7-year-old, were burned alive. Burned alive for their faith. Burned alive for their belief in Jesus. Intolerant of other religions. Here we are. This is what, what is faced with Nebuchadnezzar, is he doesn't want a people group rising up. Much like this guy, he doesn't want to change the political climate in his country. He wants his country, his kingdom, to be at peace. We're going to continue on in verse 13. Furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summons Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king, and Nebuchadnezzar said to them, is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold I have set up? Now when you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipes, and all kinds of music, if you are ready to fall down and worship the image I have made, very good. But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into the blazing furnace. Then what god will be able to rescue you from my hand? 
Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to save us from it, and he will rescue us from your hand, O king. But if he does not, we want you to know, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. These guys made a decision. These guys made a choice. They weren't going to live according to the, the worldly kingdom that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. What did they chose? They had chose that better kingdom that we're talking about. They had chose to pursue the kingdom of God. They had chose to obey the commandments that God had given. And in doing that, in pursuing this better kingdom, it meant they couldn't worship. It meant they couldn't fall down. It meant they couldn't do these things. If we choose that life, if we choose the better kingdom, it's almost a guarantee we're going to face trials. We're going to face tribulations. We're going to face hard and difficult times in our life if we are pursuing the better kingdom. I would even challenge you, you know, if you don't experience these things or haven't in a very long time, you got to ask yourself, man, am I pursuing this better kingdom? Am I going after, am I running hard and passionately pursuing Christ? Because if I'm doing that, man, you can almost guarantee there's going to be struggles. You can almost guarantee there are going to be hard times. Look, look, in, the, uh, look in the New Testament. Man, the disciples said, we gave up everything. These guys were persecuted. Most of them were martyred for their faith. They were killed for their faith. The Bible tells us daily we need to pick up our cross. We need to deny ourselves, pick up our cross, and follow him. That's not easy. That's not a call to an easy life, denying oneself, picking up our cross. Those, the, the audience that, that Jesus was talking to understood that this meant dying to yourself. Following Jesus, following this better kingdom is not easy. I remember talking to Matt Deaver. Many of you know Matt, and uh, Matt got made a decision to follow Christ when he was 16 years old. And I remember talking to him about a year and a year and a half later. And as we're talking, he says, man, Kyle, this is the best decision I've ever made to follow Jesus. But you know what? It is the most difficult thing I've ever experienced. Because when you choose this better kingdom, when you choose this life sold out for the gospel, sold out for Christ, there is going to be trials and tribulations. There are going to be difficult times. Now, it may not be like Shadrach, Meshach, or Abednego. It may not be like this missionary in India. There may be other things that go on. I remember a time, this was one of the worst, uh, worst days in my life. I was probably 20, 21 at the time, and I was dating a young lady, not my wife at the time. That was my first problem. And so uh, we made a decision. We're going to, all right, we're, we're all going to take a road trip to Kansas City, my sister, my brother-in-law, Dave, Kate and Dave, and then there were uh, his two brothers and their wives are all making this trip. So we're all taking this trip to Kansas City, and we're meeting them down there. So we're, we left very early in the morning. It was like 6 o'clock. That's early to me. Heck, 9 o'clock is early to me. Um, so we, we leave early in the morning, 6 o'clock. It's dark out. All right. It's, it's, I, I think it's July sometime. It is terrible. Think of, I think it was last July when we had the heat index about 110 every day. This, this is the kind of weather it was on this day. It seems like that. I remember speaking at, at um, Willowbrook every summer, and Amy, you might remember this, but every time we went out to Adventureland, it was the hottest day of the year. I mean, it was like 110 degrees, sweat rolling down, 
every part of your body, miserable. You're sitting around just hoping and praying, God, end this day, end this day. That was the kind of day it was. So we were going, we're driving down, and we're going to go to Worlds of Fun for the day. You know, I don't know if you've been to Worlds of Fun, but you know, it's, a, it's a decent place. We go there, but it's that type of day. Heat index, about 110 degrees. It is the hottest day of the year, and we're just walking around the park the entire day like this. It was miserable, awful. Worst day in an amusement park I've ever had. And so we go, we spend the day there, and then our plan was, all right, we're going to go to a Royals game that night. And I had planned the whole trip, all right? I bought the tickets for Worlds of Fun. I bought the tickets for the Royals game. I'd done all these things. So after Worlds of Fun, we walk back to the car, and we get in the car, and I go to start the car, and I realize, because I had left at 6 in the morning, I had turned the lights on at the time, I uh, forgot to shut the lights off. So I go to turn on the car, and it doesn't start. You know, doesn't give me a whole lot of action there. I keep trying, no avail. 110 degrees, dying, sitting in this car. All right, what am I going to do? So I would see across the parking lot. I go find the attendant, walk over to this guy. I said, all right, can you help me out here? My car is stalled. It's dead. He says, okay, come over here. We'll, we'll jump it. So we, he comes over. We sit in the car for about 10 minutes waiting for him. I mentioned it's hot, miserable, dripping. I mean, I'm just sweating all over my body. So he comes over. He jumps the car, and he says, all right, you know, that battery is, is very low. Make sure you don't turn the air on while you're driving to the car. I'm like, are you kidding me? You know how hot it is out there? It's 110 degrees heat index. Uh, he says, don't turn the air on. Just, just you know, let, let that battery charge up a little bit. So whatever. We jump in the car, and we start. We're going to meet the rest of the group over at the game. So we start driving to the Royals game. As we're driving to the game, we're, it's hot. Did I mention that it's hot? All right, I'm sweating all over my body, and we're like, all right, we got to turn the air on. I know what that guy said, but we turn the air on. So we flip the air on, get the air going. That's better. Feel a little relief. Pull in to Kauffman Stadium. That's where the Royals play. We pull in, and you know how they have all those rows that kind of lead into the, you know, to the stadium, and you pay for parking. So we're in that row, and lo and behold, that guy was right. The battery wasn't in great shape, and the car dies again. <laughs> and so here we are waiting in line now with hundreds of cars behind us, the car dies yet again. All right, what are we going to do? I get out of the car. I mentioned it's 110 degrees. Walk up to the booth. I'm like, sir, I, you know, I'm holding up about three, four, or 500 people here that want to get into the game. You know, what can you do? He says, all right, just go back in the car. We'll get somebody up there to jump you. So we sit in the car about 20 minutes. It's hot. I'm, 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 Sweat all over my body. In the meantime, my sister drives by, and Dave and I, like, what are you doing? And I'm like, long story, car won't start. So I give them the tickets to go in the game. I'm like, we'll meet you in the game, all right? We'll meet you there. Uh, just go, go sit in your seats. Finally, this guy comes, jumps the car. We pay, we go, we park. We're like, we'll worry about the car after the game. Get the tickets, walk into the game, and, and then I see my sister and brother-in-law and the rest of them walking towards us with an usher. Like, well, this doesn't seem like it could be good. So they walk towards us, Kyle, bad news. The, you bought tickets for last night's game. <laughs> All right, well, we're off to a good start. Well, anyway, we talk them in. They let us stay. We just don't get as good as seats. We have to sit somewhere else. But they let us stay at the game. Now, I mentioned earlier it's hot. 7 o'clock at night, and it is still extremely hot. The Kansas City Royals are playing the New York Yankees. And baseball, it's fun to be at. But after a while... I mean, you can get kind of old, right? Yeah, you sit through a few innings. This game went 15 innings. 15 innings. 
Now, you like going to games that are high-scoring, right? I mean, it's fun to go to a high-scoring baseball game. Two to one was the final. Two to one, and the Yankees beat the Royals. I'm a Royals fan. So we sit there, 15 innings, and we, we stay for the whole thing. I'm, I'm a fan. We stay for 15 innings. It's now after midnight, still extremely warm. Walk back out to the car and probably could have guessed it. The car won't start. I'm like, oh, man, okay. Fortunately, there's a lot of cars around. I grabbed this guy. I said, hey, sir, can you help me jump my car? Sure, I'll help you jump it. He jumps the car. Well, I need to get out and thank him, right? So I get out and thank him. As soon as I shut the door, I realize what I've done. I lock the keys in the car with it running, yes. The car is running, so that's a nice thing, but I am now locked out of the car. Don't know what to do. What am I going to do? It's after midnight. I'm in, the, I'm in Kansas City. I have no idea what to do. Well, fortunately, I see the guy who jumped me earlier in the day. I run across the parking lot, run him down. I'm sprinting across the parking lot. He gets us in the car. We make the trek, the three-hour drive home, get home, and she dumps me. So, amen. No, that last part I made up. I dumped her. It was her car. I'm not going to do that again. Uh, so that was my, one of my worst days of my life. And I'm reminded of Hebrews 2.18, or, or James 1.2. It says, consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Now, that day, you know, I can sit back a month, year later, and I can laugh about it. But as followers of Jesus, we are going to face trials, tribulations, and struggles of many kinds. We're going to go through hardships. I can think back of the last year, and, man, it was a difficult year for us. You know, I talk about and I joke about my eyes, but I tore a muscle in my leg in July. Two months later, I finally get back. I'm going to go play basketball for the first time in two months. It's October. I sprain my ankle two minutes into the game. I'm driving home that night. My car dies. All right, we had $800 worth of damage to the car. Get home. A month later, my ankle's better. Lose vision in my left eye. Tore my retina. Uh, five weeks after that, I run into the back of a car, detach my other retina. It was, it was a tough stretch, you know, and I can think about it and laugh back, back now, but uh, two weeks after that, I'm driving and you know, with, with one kind of good eye, it's tough to see sometimes. And I run and run into a meeting and do $1,700 worth of damage to my car. And this was a stretch that, you know, Karen and I really struggled with. And we sat on the bed one night just talking, and we both, man, in tears, in tears talking, man, what is God trying to show us? What is God trying to do in our life? And I'm not like Tim. I, I don't cry if I watch high school musical or, or something like that. I mean, this takes something to happen in my life. But what is God trying to teach me? As followers, as people who want to pursue a better kingdom, there are going to be struggles. There are going to be trials. Things are going to happen in our life. Much like what goes on with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, we may never see that kind of trial, but there will be struggles in our life. There will be tough times. And the these testing, this testing of our faith is so that we may grow deeper in our love for God. We may grow deeper in our walk with Jesus. We may grow and have perseverance in our faith. Consider it pure joy, my brothers. We must face these trials. Verse 16, it says, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves in, with you in this matter. I love that. 
We don't need to defend ourselves with you in this matter. What's the defense? My faith is my defense. There will be times when I need to speak up. There will be times I need to defend my faith. But they're saying, this, this is my life. I don't need to defend it. Our greatest defense for our faith is how we live. Our greatest defense is like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, living a life worthy of the calling I've received, living a life that reflects that God has done such a great thing for me in giving him his son. That's our greatest defense that we have. Verse 17, it says, If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to save us from it, and he will rescue us from your hand, O king. But even if he does not, we want you to know, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. What are they saying? We believe God is going to rescue us. We believe God is going to save us. But if he doesn't, that doesn't change who God is, does it? That doesn't change anything. God may not save us. We believe he's going to, but if he doesn't, it doesn't change who God is. And we're still not going to do what you told us to do because we believe in this better kingdom. I mean, you think about this story, this Graham Staines and his two sons. God didn't deliver them. God didn't rescue them. Does it change who God is? No, his wife sang at the funeral and talked about the great is thy faithfulness, talked about forgiving these that had done this act. He may save us, but he may not. It doesn't change who God is. And we go through things in our life, and we spend time praying, God, we want you to do a work in our life. Or we pray, God, I want you to sell a house, and he doesn't. God, I want you to give me this new job, and he doesn't. God, I want you to heal this little girl that's dying of cancer, and he doesn't. We pray for these things, and we ask God to move. You know what? Sometimes his plan is different. Sometimes his plan doesn't go along with what I would think is best, but it doesn't change who God is. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they believed God would heal them, or God would save them, but if he didn't, it doesn't change anything. So you may pray for, for that job and may not have got it, but God has a plan, and God has a purpose, and God has a place for you where you are right now. I was talking to Karen this week, and she was talking to Melissa, and they wanted a house. You want a house on the northeast side of Ankeny, is that right? Yeah, they wanted a house on the northeast side of Ankeny. They didn't get it. You know where they ended up? They ended up neighbors with Alan and Lauren. Whew, that would be tough, but <laughs> God had a plan, didn't he? So what we think may not be a good thing, God has planned for the best. God is in control. No matter what the trial, no matter what the tribulation, no matter what we are going through, God is in control. And he was in control of this situation with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They believed God would save them. They believed that God would deliver them from this fire. But if he didn't, it doesn't change who God is. Continues, verse 19 through the end of the chapter, it says, Then Nebuchadnezzar was furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and his attitude toward them changed. He ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter than usual and commanded some of the strongest soldiers in the army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. So these men, wearing their robes, trousers, turbans, and other clothes, were bound, thrown into the blazing furnace. The king's command was so urgent and the furnace so hot that the flames of the fire killed the soldiers who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, firmly tied, 
fell into the blazing furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, Weren't there three men that we tied up and threw into the fire? They replied, Certainly, O king. He said, Look, I see four men walking around the fire, unbound and unharmed, and the fourth looks like a son of the gods. Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire, and the satraps, prefects, governors, and royal advisors crowded around them. They saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was a hair on their head singed. Their robes were not scorched, and there was no smell of fire on them. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own. Therefore, I decree that, that any people of any nation or language who say anything against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be cut into pieces and their houses be turned into piles of rubble. For no other god can save in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. So we see it. What happens? God does indeed save them. But something incredible happened, didn't it? There were three guys in the fire. What does he say? Man, but I see a fourth. A fourth. And this isn't an ordinary man. This is someone who looks like one of the sons of God. So I did some reading and I did some studying. And there are many who believe Indeed, this very well could have been the Son of God. If you read through the Old Testament, there there is this person that shows up quite often. And this person is called the Angel of the Lord. Now we know that that as as you read through Scripture, you're going to see that God sends angels. An angel was a messenger. They came with a message from God. And there there was Gabriel. There was the, the one at the tomb. There are many angels in the Bible. But they are different than the one than the angel from the Lord. If you read in Exodus chapter 3, it talks about the angel of the Lord was in the bush. And then it says, and the Lord spoke to Moses. And Moses had to take his sandals off. He was on holy ground. Joshua chapter 5, Joshua getting ready to go into battle. And there's this figure. There's this soldier. So who is this guy? He says, are you for us or for them? Neither. I'm the commander of the Lord's army, and you're on holy ground. You need to take off your sandals. Balaam, they talked about Balaam here a little bit ago. Balaam sees the angel of the Lord, and what's he do? He falls down, and he worships him. Now, we see and we can read in Colossians that that Paul tells us, and we're not to worship angels. We can see other points in the Bible where angels are not worshiped. But when the angel of the Lord shows up, what he commands worship. Take off your sandals. You're on holy ground. Balaam falls down and worships him. And we don't see the angel of the Lord in the New Testament. And so many people believe that this was the pre-incarnate Jesus. That before Jesus came a man, this is him. This is the angel of the Lord. So I don't know if that's who was in the fire I don't know if that's who was with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. There are plenty of people who think it probably was, and it would make sense. Because isn't this how God saves? See, God, 
He could have simply wiped out the fire. He could have simply snatched him up. But how does God say? God sent his son to walk with us. God sent his son to go through the fires that we go through, the trials in our life for us. And Jesus came and he walked with man. Jesus came and became a man. And you look at the story and it makes perfect sense that God would send his son to walk in the fire, to go through what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego went through. It says in Hebrews 2.18, because he himself, talking about Jesus, suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Jesus has gone through those trials and those tribulations. Jesus has gone through those things that I struggle with, and he has overcome. What a, what a picture that would be of Jesus, of God sending Jesus to go through it. I mean, Daniel didn't necessarily know who this figure was. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego didn't seem to know. Nebuchadnezzar gives us the only sign. Well, he looks like one of the sons of the God. I don't know what it was that recognized, but there he is. There he is. Isn't it awesome that this is how God saves? Matthew 13 talks about the wrath of God is like a fiery furnace. The wrath of God is like a fiery furnace. That is what Jesus became for us. Jesus took on the wrath of God. The wrath of God was poured out on him on the cross. He has been that fiery furnace for me. Because of what I've done wrong, because of my sin, because of how I have failed to measure up to God's standard, the wrath of God was poured on Jesus. And the wrath of God is like a fiery furnace. Jesus has become that fiery furnace for me. We're going to have an opportunity here in a little bit. And the band's going to come back up and we're going to continue in worship. And we're going to have an opportunity to take the bread and the juice and to remember this great thing that God has done for us in giving us his son. Listen to the words of Nebuchadnezzar as he ends up this verse. It says, Therefore I decree that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be cut into pieces and their house be turned into piles of rubble. Here's what he says. For no other God can save this way. Now Nebuchadnezzar made a step, all right? Last week he saw it was Daniel, or he thought it was Daniel. He burns incense towards Daniel, celebrates Daniel. This week, he recognizes who it is, doesn't he? Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He recognizes power when he sees it, and he sees power here. He knows their God is something special, but he still doesn't got it completely. This isn't his God yet. Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. This is the challenge for us here this morning. Is this our God? Is this my God? Or this God that has done great things throughout the course of history, throughout people's lives around me, is he my God? Is he the God of my parents? Is he the God of my kids? Is he the God of my spouse? Is he the God of my, my, uh, my friends? Is he the God of just Cornerstone? Or is he my God? We will see the progression of Nebuchadnezzar as we go into chapter 4 next week. But man, this is the challenge. Don't let him just be oh, he is a great God, this God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, but that he would be my God. Here's what he says. 
for no other God can save in this way. For no other God can send, can send one can send one down, can send a man down to be our fiery furnace, to be our rescue. No other God can save this way. No other God can become a man. No other God can walk among us. No other God can take our sin upon himself. No other God can be our substitute on the cross. No other God can be our fiery furnace. No other God can save this way. Let's pray. God, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that he is our substitute, that he is our replacement. God, that we deserve the wrath of God. We deserve that, that fiery furnace. But Jesus became that for us. And now we have an opportunity to remember Jesus in his body that was broken and his blood that was shed. And we thank you for this great thing you have done. We thank you that Jesus became our substitute. We thank you that Jesus became our fiery furnace. We thank you that Jesus came and walked. Jesus became a man. Jesus came and knows those trials and tribulations in my life. Jesus knows what I've gone through, and he has overcome. We thank you for Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.